I'm going to invite my friend Jason to come on up here from the Wilmore Vineyard. Um, and I think I'm supposed to say GCF Vineyard Church. I can't say all that. I can just say Wilmore Vineyard. We're good with that. And that will work. All right. I have really come to love this guy over the last couple of years and, and have connected with him. And uh, we've done things together. You've seen Ron Joe up here on his, his worship leader, director, pastor um, up here on the stage with us and some of his team. And so we are very grateful to have you here. And we just ask that the Holy Spirit be upon you and speak to us in Jesus' name. Good evening. Are you there? Good evening. Yeah, I have to, I have to do that in Wilmore too. Um, I uh, am so glad to, uh, to be here. You guys know, uh, or you may not know, that the word pastor uh, it comes from a Greek word that means shepherd. And um, I actually think it's unfortunate that guys who do what I do or what Joe and Janice do, that we get called pastors because there's really only one shepherd, and he is the good shepherd. And I like to think of pastors instead as sheepdogs. Uh, because we're running around the outside trying to keep everybody following the leader and following Jesus. And that means there's a lot of uh, responsibility that comes with being a sheepdog and being a shepherd like that. And so whenever somebody asks you to come and speak to their congregation, there's a lot of responsibility in that because you want to honor the invitation of the other sheepdog uh, who's trusting you to feed and take care of his people and keep everybody moving in the right direction uh, and not to get in the way of that. So I'm honored to be with you here tonight. I love Joe uh, and Janice. When our church joined the vineyard uh, several years ago, it's been about 10 or 11 years ago now, I think one of the reasons we did that uh, was we wanted a network of other churches, other pastors that we could associate with. And so I I want to tell you uh, that Joe has encouraged me when I needed to be encouraged, and I've had a couple of times when I was ready to quit, uh, not church, but quit the vineyard, that Joe was like, you can't do that. And he, you, you guys know this, like he's good at just talking straight when you need somebody to talk straight to you. So uh, I'm glad to be here tonight. I want to talk tonight um, about the third person. We sang that in one of the songs, the third person of the Godhead, as the theologians would say, uh, Father, Son, and... Holy Spirit. And I want to do that, uh, I want to start with a passage in Luke, uh, and this is in uh, chapter 3, uh, right around verse 15. John the Baptist is involved in his ministry. All kinds of folks have gone out to see John the Baptist because he was an incredibly interesting character, uh, and he's out there baptizing and speaking tough to people. And then we pick up in verse 15 with this. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So, Father, I want to ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on your word. And even as we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit, Father, we want to give you thanks for your word to us in the Bible, but even more, we want to give you thanks for your living word to us who is Jesus Christ. We ask you right now, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes, to open our ears, and to open our hearts because we want to know Jesus and see Jesus and hear Jesus in this place tonight. We're going to need your help to do that, Holy Spirit. So come and help us do that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The Bible offers us lots of uh, analogies or metaphors for the, Holy, uh, for, for the Holy Spirit. So, Scripture will tell us, for example, that the Holy Spirit is like water. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is like wind. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is like a dove. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is like oil. And then Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is like fire. Now, of all of the things that Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is like, I don't know about you, but the one I find most troubling is fire. I don't want the Holy Spirit to be like fire. Because, like, whenever Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit being like water, it always means it in the sense of, like, water pouring over a desert or dry crackers, refreshing and renewing. Whenever Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit as wind, it's likening the Holy Spirit to something that can empower you and help you do the things that you normally can't do. Whenever Scripture refers... Uh, to the Holy Spirit is oil. It's talking about being set apart by God through the Holy Spirit to some special task, being given a new identity. But then there's fire, and fire burns things up. When the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is like fire, it's not wanting you to envision a cold night with the wind whipping through central Kentucky. Scripture wants you to imagine fire as this roaring bonfire in which you are immersed. That's what baptism means. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which literally meant immersed, put in water. We just saw the fellow immersed in water earlier today. And so in this passage, John says that Jesus' purpose, one of the things he wants to do, is not just to immerse you in water, but to immerse you in the Holy Spirit like you are being immersed in fire, burned up, consumed by the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing is the Holy Spirit comes and His purpose is to put the divine life of God in us. And so when we say that the Holy Spirit is like fire, one of the things that we're saying is that the Holy Spirit consumes us in the divine life of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is about. The Holy Spirit wants to burn you up in the life of God. Now, by way of thinking along these lines, I want to suggest to you tonight that one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit comes on you like fire is that you begin to burn with a passion for the mission of God. When the Holy Spirit comes on you like fire, you begin to burn with a passion for the mission of God. You guys do realize that God is on a mission, right? He is not just sitting somewhere in the heavenlies with his feet kicked back, sipping a pina colada. He wouldn't do that anyway. But he's not just there resting. God is actively involved on a mission. And the Bible is clear that God's mission works like this. He is seeking to save as many people as possible. He is seeking to redeem humanity from the sin that breaks us and that has broken the world. And in seeking to redeem us, he is seeking to make us new. In fact, Scripture teaches us that God is on a mission not just to redeem us and save us, but he is on a mission to renew and recreate the whole creation. That's why in Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I come to make all things new. God is on a mission. And when we are consumed by the fire of the Holy Spirit, we are consumed with a passion for the things of God, for the mission of God. We see this really clearly in the, in the book of Acts. 
You know, the book of Acts is the, the sequel to Luke's first book, his gospel, his story of Jesus. And then he writes the sequel to it, the book of Acts, to tell us about the first groups of people that came to faith in Christ and the growth of the early church. And, and that all started when all of Jesus' disciples were gathered in an upper room and they were praying. And as they were praying, this is what we read happened. I'm going to have to read it up there because I don't have it here. They saw what, a, what ha, there we go. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Hear that? Fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like fire and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You remember what happened right after that? They started speaking in languages that they had never spoken before. And this started to gather a crowd because all of the other Jews who were in Jerusalem at that time, they were from all over, visiting from all over the world there for that, that particular festival in Jerusalem. And they, they hear that there are a bunch of Jewish people who never, don't know any of these foreign languages that are all of a sudden speaking in foreign languages that they have never learned. And if you heard that was happening, you would probably go and find out what's going on with those people. And you remember that some of the people who showed up thought that those folks were drunk, they thought that they were drunk. And in the midst of these people gathering, the Holy Spirit comes on Peter like, has come on Peter like fire so that he is consumed with the mission of God. And Peter f preaches the first sermon in church history. And the Holy Spirit had so consumed Peter like fire with passion for the mission of God that at the end of Peter's sermon, a bunch of people are like, what do we do in response to this? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. So they all repent and they're baptized. And by, by the end of a day or two, there's 5,000 new followers of Jesus because the Holy Spirit consumed Peter and the early followers with a passion for the mission of God. They were going to be a part of seeing people redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and living into a vision for the world to become new in Jesus. A few chapters later, we find that they were, uh, they were all gathered. The, the leaders in Jerusalem had threatened to, to put an end to the early church movement. And they were afraid that the Jewish leaders were going to do to them what they had done to Jesus. And so everybody, so they threatened Peter and, and John, said, don't you preach anymore. Don't you do that. Peter and John go back to this, this gathering of some of the believers, and they tell them that's happened. And, and they, they, they all get afraid. Listen, we sometimes all become afraid of things, right? But in the midst of being afraid, they made a, they made a good decision, and they prayed. And then I love this, because when they prayed, this is what happened. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. See what happened there? The Holy Spirit came on them like fire, and it burned them up or consumed them with a passion for the mission of God. God is on a mission to redeem the human race and make all things new. And when we are consumed or baptized by the Holy Spirit, God pours out His own passion for the redemption of all things on us so that we can't help but be about the redemption of all things through Jesus Christ. I uh, uh, have lived in Kentucky for almost 25 years. I came to Wilmore for seminary and never left. So I insist that only happens to the best of us uh, who are there. Uh, but I grew up before that uh, in West Virginia. And even though I grew up in West Virginia, um, I was a Virginia Tech football fan. 
was raised as a Virginia Tech football fan. Everybody around us were WVU fans, but my daddy raised us as Virginia Tech fans. And, and, and I grew up going to their ball games. There were two reasons for that. WVU is about three hours away from where I lived because it takes three hours to get anywhere more than five miles in West Virginia. It, WVU was about three hours away. And uh, my aunt and uncle, Virginia Tech, by the way, was only about 35 minutes from where I grew up. And my aunt and uncle were both vice presidents at Virginia Tech. So we got free football tickets. Ergo, we were Virginia Tech fans. And I learned growing up at Virginia Tech football games that there are three types of fans. Now, there may be more groups than that, but it seemed to me that there were three. And the, the first group were the folks like my aunt and uncle. They were like upper-income, white-collar professionals, and they would buy their season tickets right close to the 50-yard line, and they sat with all of the other white-collar, upper-middle-class professionals there on, on the, on the, on the middle-yard line. And, and they didn't cheer. They didn't jump up. They just watched the game, and they chit-chatted a little bit about the game and about other things that were going on in business and in the world. And they might golf clap a little bit when something nice you know, happened on the field. Then there were fans like my dad. My dad was a machinist by trade before he became a pastor. And uh, my dad, listen, if you looked in my dad's closet tonight, you might find four or five just plain button-up shirts, and everything else will be maroon and orange. This is Virginia Tech colors. Everything else maroon and orange. He doesn't own a baseball cap out of the 15 or 20 he has that is not a Virginia Tech baseball cap. There's a Virginia Tech flag on their front porch. There's a Virginia Tech sticker on the back of his car. And there's a Virginia Tech license plate on the front. And if you sit next to my dad in a Virginia Tech game and they do something poor on the field, he goes pretty nuts. But if they do something good, I have watched him jump up and down and scream, things I would never see him do anywhere else jump up and down and scream. I have watched him grab strangers in front of him, strangers beside him, strangers behind him, and shake them as he jumps up and down, up and down. He's a pretty extraordinary fan, but then there are the ones who go even further because at every Virginia Tech football game, same thing at a UK basketball game, there are the, the, the folks who come with only shoes and pants on. Men, by the way, but the folks who come with only shoes and pants on, and they ha they're painted, right? They're painted in, in orange and, and maroon, and they've got this wild kind of wig on, and they've got the number one thumbs, and they've got these elaborate banners, and they, are, they didn't just go nuts during the game. They were, they were crazy before they got in there, right? These three types of fans. Now, for some reason, this, this is not a shock to my folks in Wilmore, uh, for some reason, early on, I decided which one of those kinds of fans I was going to be, and I decided that I would be like my aunt and uncle. I would be sedate, measured, reasoned. I would never let my passion for Virginia Tech show, even though I like them a whole lot. And I, I do think, guys, that's an, that's an analogy for the people of God. Because I think the people of God tend to come in three varieties. There are people who are extraordinary, extraordinarily dedicated, and they're nuts about the mission of God. They're consumed in the Holy Spirit with passion for God's mission. There are people like my dad that are like that. But then there are other folks, maybe like me, that you don't want to be consumed in passion for the mission of God because of what it might mean for your life to be consumed with that kind of passion. And so you just kind of sit back and you take it easy. And the Holy Spirit, I say the Holy Spirit's like, you, when you handle the Holy Spirit, it's like you got on those oven mitts, like you can put in the, you know, those heat protective ones. You just reach in the fire and grab a burning log out with those things. That's sort of how you handle the Holy Spirit. You don't want to get burned. You don't want him to make you passionate about anything. 
But when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, if we want Him in His fullness, He will consume us with the divine life of God. He will consume us in a passion for the mission of God. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes, He not only consumes us with, a pa- with the passion of God for God's mission, when the Holy Spirit comes like fire, He consumes us for purification. The Holy Spirit consumes us for purification. Right after John the Baptist says that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus will baptize people in fire in the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist does a, a, uses farming imagery. And when they, I don't know if this is, I'm not a farmer, never have been, but it, 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 back in the day when they would reap the wheat harvest, uh, they would toss the wheat up into the air to let the chafe, the, the husk, blow off of the wheat so that the wheat that could be used would fall uh, back down to the ground. And, and Jesus says, uh, John says, that's what being baptized in fire in the Holy Spirit is going to be like. It's going to be like chafe because what happens is after the farmer has tossed the wheat up in the air, the chafe blows off into another location. He takes the wheat in and he goes over and he consumes the chafe burns it up to get it out of the way. It's a purification process. And so, when John the Baptist says that the Holy Spirit is going to consume us like fire, he's indicating that the Holy Spirit wants to purify us. I realize that things like this are incredibly unpopular to talk about in our 21st century world where we like Christianity to be easy and to coddle our identities, right? But the reality is that Scripture teaches us that there will be a purification of the human race. There will be a purification of the human race. That's what John is talking about here. John is basically saying there will be some day when Jesus Christ will come again and He will toss the human race up in the air. The good will fall before His feet and He'll take them up to Himself. The chafe will fall over here, and they will be consumed by fire. That could just be the end of everything, and there's nothing more, but it could also be eternal punishment, eternal burning. And so the question becomes, when Jesus purifies the human race, will I be wheat or will I be chafe? Well, the wheat those that Jesus keeps, those who will not be consumed in the fires of judgment, are those who will have been consumed in the fire of the Holy Spirit before that day. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the Holy Spirit does a deep work of purification inside of us. The Holy Spirit, if He is consuming us with the divine life of God Himself, then the Holy Spirit has to burn out of us everything that is not in keeping with the divine life of God. The two cannot coexist together in the same being, so the Holy Spirit consumes and burns up all of that stuff. You know, if I ask you, what is the one characteristic that most describes God, or the one character trait that is most descriptive of God, you, you might say holiness. And in Wilmore, because of the nature of the seminary, that's usually the first answer people give is holiness. And God is holy. Scripture is clear about that. But I think the word that might have come to your mind, or maybe should have come to your mind, is love. Because 
John, not the Baptist, but John, who was Jesus' disciple, later in one of his letters he wrote to a church, tells us that love is such a characteristic of God that we can actually say that God is love. Now, notice he said God is love. He didn't say love is God. Those are two very, very different things. God is love, not love is God. But God is so loving that we can use that one word to describe what He is most like, what His divine life is all about. It is what's going on in God. It is love. That's what most describes God. Now, I mention this because that means that when the Holy Spirit consumes you in fire or like fire, to purify you in the divine life of God, the Holy Spirit is going to burn everything out of you that is not in keeping with the loving nature of God. And that is a lot of stuff. I have noticed over the last four to five years, if you'll let me go to meddling for just a minute, I have noticed over the last four or five years, and I have been subject to it too, that in the United States, we have been encouraged to define ourselves positively by negative things. Here's what I mean by that. We now in the United States identify ourselves in a primary way about which political party or politician we don't like. We define ourselves positively by who we hate who we don't like. So if I like former President Trump, I will define myself by hating President Biden. If I like President Biden, I will define myself positively by saying I'm a disliker of Donald Trump. See how that works? This becomes highly problematic because when you and I begin to take as a positive part of our identity, our dislike or hatred for someone or something else, that is not in keeping with the divine life of God. Because the divine life of God is loving. It seeks redemption and recreation. And so, like, guys, you know, like, who, who wouldn't want to be consumed in the purifying powers of the Holy Spirit, guys, if he was going to make you more loving of your wife? Right? Like, everybody wants that. You show somebody a picture of a starving child in Africa, and most people, like, they will want the Holy Spirit to burn them up with love for that starving child. But this gets really irritating because one day you'll be really mad about whatever politician you saw or whatever you read in the news that morning, and you'll be really angry and hating somebody, and the Holy Spirit will show up and say, you know, that kind of hatred, that kind of dislike is not in keeping with the love of God. It's not in keeping with the divine life of God. I have watched men pray to love, pray, ask God to give them the Holy Spirit so that they could love their wives better. But when the Holy Spirit says you have to get some help for that pornography addiction, they don't want the Holy Spirit. They don't want Him. I have uh, watched people say they want to be lit up with love. I've seen women do this in particular, not to be sexist, but I just have. I've seen women say they want to be burned up with love for their husband. But the next thing you know they're sitting at a table lamenting all the horrible things about their husband with another woman or group of women. See, they want the Holy Spirit to consume them, but the Holy Spirit's going to come along and say, if you really want to be consumed, you have to let me burn that gossipy nature out. You have to let me burn that thing in there, that, that way that you're looking at your husband the wrong way. You have to let me burn those things up. I've seen a number of people say, God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me so that I'll be more compassionate. Then they see the homeless guy in the parking lot, and they're like, I'm in a hurry. See? The Holy Spirit says, that's not in keeping 
with the divine love of God. All of this I'm giving you guys is a warning because if you say, Holy Spirit, I want you to consume me. I want you to purify me. I want you to give me the divine life of God. The Holy Spirit will make you angry because he's going to come along and say, that won't work. That won't work anymore. You've got to deal with that particular issue. You've got to deal with that particular issue because the Holy Spirit is interested in consuming you entirely in all of the things of the divine life of God his mission, and purifying you for his character. This is really tough. 22 years ago, I had a thing in my life, a big, hairy, nasty thing, a sin issue, besetting sin, as the old-timers used to say. And it was ruining my life. It had nearly ruined my marriage. I didn't know if my marriage was going to be put back together. I was in an apartment by myself, And I fell down, and I didn't use these exact words, but I basically what I prayed was, in so many words, was, Jesus, purify me. Burn me up. Burn me up, because this thing that that I am, it can't go with me anymore. And it was scary, because I honestly, at that point in time, didn't know who I would be if I let the Holy Spirit burn that thing up. See, it becomes such a part of my identity I didn't even know who I would be without it. But I opened myself up before the Holy Spirit, and I said, Holy Spirit, Jesus, purify me. Take this thing. Burn me up. Consume me. And it was so stinking painful. It was three to four hours by myself in a hallway in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our apartment, crying and sobbing, just letting him take it all. Say, I'm taking this, this is who you really are. I'm taking this, this is who you really are. I'm taking this, this is what you're going to do and who you're going to be from now on. It was painful. But you know, when something is refined in fire, it comes out better than it was. And so I am, (laughs) I say, I'm not by any measure perfect. Uh, Just ask my wife or my children or the staff at our church in Wilmore or the folks from Wilmore who are here tonight. They will confirm that, so I don't want to give that impression. But the guy I was who was aloof and distant and angry and hateful, particularly with my family, who couldn't interact with people in any kind of real way, I like suddenly became like a conduit of grace and patience and peace and a joy I had never known and could identify with people in their pain in a way that I never had before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit consumed me in the divine life of God, burned all of those things out and filled me with passion for his mission. And he can do the same thing for you, (laughs) but you have to be willing to be burned. And not just a little, but burned alive in the Holy Spirit. Can I pray for us? I'm going to anyway. Whether you give me permission to or not, I'm going to, so… Just come now, Holy Spirit. We invite you to come right now, Holy Spirit. And I suspect in this room there are some who know that they are not passionate in the way that our Father is passionate about His mission of redemption and renewal. And so, Holy Spirit, where there are those who want to be more passionate about the mission of God, Would you come now and would you consume them and would you burn them up? Perhaps more difficultly, Father, there are probably people in this place right now who know of an impurity 
who have something in them that is keeping them from being who you created them to be. Something that is keeping them from knowing your divine life in their own life. And so I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them of that. And you would help them to lay it out before you and just say, come and burn, Holy Spirit. Come and burn, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Give passion and give purification. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.